Well, it's Friday, everybody, and everybody knows it's Friday. It's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sumler. I'm very excited to be here with you today, as I am to be every time we start this show. And of course, this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by Boundtree Medical. Learn how Boundtree can help you save minutes and lives at Boundtree.com. Here's a man that knows all about saving minutes and lives, my good friend Kelly Grayson, KG. How are you doing this lovely Friday? I'm making it, brother. I'm uh, I'm I'm catching up on the honeydew list, catching up on home maintenance projects since we can't go out to restaurants and movies and and out to the park and whatnot. It's uh, I'm slowly whittling away at both the bank account and the the to do list. <laughs> that's right. That's a good place to that's a good place to put it, right? I mean, you got to do all yeah. these these home maintenance things. Now, one of the things that uh, is interesting here in Missouri is now we've tried, uh, we've started to get back to a little bit normal. They've started to open restaurants. They've started to open nail salons. They've started to open gyms. And, uh, you know, we're going to see where this goes. How, how things in Louisiana, you guys starting to get back to normal? I mean, I got to tell you, man, uh. I'm a little, I'm a little worried about this. I, I just don't know that, uh, you know, I see people all the time with no masks, you know, they're congregating and, and in one day from, uh, you know, Sunday to Monday this week, a hundred new cases of Corona popped up over, you know, from one day and, uh, we got to worry, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, we still are getting, um, uh, two to 300 new cases per day, uh, in Louisiana. Um, but the deaths are, 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 are slow. That death curve is flattening out dramatically and our, uh, hospital, admissions and our ems i mean our ventilator patients are are steadily declining there's occasionally a a little small uptick but the overall trend is downward um and i'm seeing uh we're we're seeing you know on the on the occasions we do go out i mean lowe's lumber and tractor supply is getting all my money these days but the people we see at at the hardware stores they're implementing the social distancing stuff they put up uh, barriers between the cashiers and the and the this uh, customers uh, and many many more people are wearing masks however the volume of people down is I don't see I mean Lowe's is as busy as I've ever seen it um, and and the same way with with tractor supply and and the other you know hardware stores and Walmart uh, as busy as I've ever ever seen them uh you see a few people not wearing masks uh, many more are wearing masks uh, often hilariously so but uh still wearing them um it's a weird thing man we're supposed to be we're supposed to be rolling back the the stay at home uh precautions and reopening businesses as of may the 10th uh, our governor extended it from may the 1st to may the 10th and uh um, but we already are seeing businesses uh, open. Uh, Nancy and I uh, went to one of our favorite ice cream joints the other day, and, and they've uh, implemented al fresco dining and, and uh, uh, reduced capacity seating in the restaurant so that tables and booths are far enough apart. Um, so it, it's starting to slowly return, but still nowhere where it used to be. Yeah, I mean, just craziness. We've got to think about what mm-hmm. this, this new normal is going to be, and I don't know that we've really yep. defined it yet, but it's something that we're in. You know, Kelly, as we as we think about what we do and talk about shows in this time of COVID, you came up with a uh, great topic to discuss, and I'm going to let you kind of kick it to the listeners so uh, you can kind of set it up, but I, I do think that it has a lot of merit, and we're starting to see a lot more states. We're starting to see a lot more people 
uh, kind of fall behind, but I don't want to take your thunder. Go ahead and give it to him. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned itself. What is the new normal going to look like? And, and it struck me, the irony struck me that, uh, the other day reading some social media posts that, that, uh, certain, um, EMS leaders were lamenting the fact that, uh, that people in their system are not calling 911, uh, when they should, uh, because their cardiac arrest volumes are up and their pronouncements on scene are up and their, uh, and their overall run volume is down. Uh, even during the coronavirus pandemic and, and openly wondering if people are, are waiting too long to call 911. I was like, man, we have waited two generations for this. Day. The, the only thing that could that could do what two generations of billboards and radio and television PSAs about systems abuse could not do um, is, is a global pandemic. Finally, some somebody fears something more than the innocuous sign they think might be a heart attack. Uh it, be careful what you wish for. And, and now we are because uh, our system volumes are, are down uh, because of our staffing models are wrecked because so many people in, in certain systems are, are uh, affected with coronavirus themselves and unable to work. Uh, EMS systems are having to, to uh, come up with some innovative solutions to, to their staffing and deployment problems uh, and, and their treatment and transport problems. And, and I think it occurred to me uh, today that that uh, this is kind of a proof of concept of the ET3 model. You know, you, you see uh, agencies that are, are, are feeling the financial burden of treatment without transport because the hospitals don't want anything but the sickest patients, which I can understand, but they're feeling the financial squeeze, and some of them are, are in, in danger of going broke. Yet, isn't this what we wanted? Isn't, isn't this what we've looked for, uh, the ability to treat without transport, to, to abandon an old, inefficient uh, uh, fee-for-transport model and move toward a fee-for-treatment model? The only thing lacking right now is the, uh, is the reimbursement part of it. But I think that, um, that what we're doing now is, is, is kind of a proof of concept that ET3 actually will work. Uh, the sky is not falling. Systems are managing to to deal with it and e even deal with it with, with staffing models that they never would have considered before. I mean, you've got entire states that didn't have an EMR certification level that are now going, well, perhaps that was a mistake and we need uh, we need a, uh, an entry-level tier for EMS. And perhaps it was uh, short-sighted of us to think that two medics uh, should be on every single ambulance. And, and maybe we can safely do this with medic EMT or, or maybe even a tiered response system where the medics just respond and fly cars and everybody else is BLS. Uh, they're now open to things that they weren't open to before this pandemic hit. What do you think, man? Uh, have you seen seen the, the same sort of thing? Oh, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of different things that are, um, you know, very, very uh, interesting. You know, in the days of the uh, COVID, you know, CMS has kind of changed their focus mm -hmm. in, you know, saying that we can transport wherever we need to transport to. And, you know, in the same standpoint from, uh, you know, using telehealth 
you know, in the uh, community paramedicine program that I'm doing with Anthem, Anthem has now said no reason to go into somebody's home. Use telehealth. We'll pay the regular visit rates, um, you know, as long as we can get the, you know, get the interactions with the patients. You know, so I think that, that we are seeing some innovation. And there are some people, and it, when it comes to change, you know, they have the challenges to say, I just don't know that this is the right thing at the right time, and this is not the way we do things. And, you know, but I, I think all the things that we hear anytime that people try to be innovative, and I think that from this concept of pandemic, we have to be able to develop the processes that are going to give us the opportunities to deliver the highest quality of patient care, to conduct our business, you know, to utilize our resources, to train our people, to interact with our patients that we're going mm -hmm. to have to do. You know, I would have been more surprised if we were handcuffed to say that those are things that you're not going to be able to do, figure it out. Where instead, we're seeing the people that have usually stonewalled us and have usually mm -hmm. stiff-armed stiff us to say that, no, that's not the way that it's going to be. Those are the people who are now coming to the plate to saying, you know what, let's go ahead and change our concepts and let's go ahead and make it as, you know, and make it as resourceful for you as you can. I think that's what's more surprising to me is that that's what's going on. You know, you and I have talked on this show about, you know, this is the time for EMS to step up and get some of the things that we need mm -hmm. to get. You know, we talk about hazardous duty pay. We talk about all these things that, you know, are happening. And and uh, how does EMS finally come to the plate and be recognized as an essential service, as, as, as treatment, uh, more or less, and not as a transport benefit? Well, I think that there are people that are in the higher positions of our career field that are really trying to change the mm -hmm. concepts that EMS is recognized as provider and not as a transport benefit. You know, we had uh, Asmel Montez on here uh, a couple weeks ago from yeah. Acadian, and he was talking about that, you know, he couldn't get the PPE he needed because EMS is considered to be a tier two, a tier two um, uh, provider. And only yeah. tier one providers could have ordered the PPE that they needed. That's certainly ridiculous. And as our people are and let me, on, let me let me interrupt. Uh, let me guess. Uh, I, I would imagine that police officers are tier one providers. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that they are considered tier one providers. I think it's a great question. If anybody knows the answer to that, I certainly don't. Because I see so many so many police officers, and, and not to pick on law enforcement, but you know, I see so many of them that that wear their N95 masks in the car alone and and that sort of thing and i just go how many masks do you go through a day when when my colleagues are struggling to even get supplies right. to do the same thing that you're wearing every day right you know so that's where i kind of come from that's yeah you know i think my rant is over i think you pulled me down off the soapbox <laughs> and uh but but i think that how how do we keep the momentum kelly what i would hate to see that as these things have started to change for the better does that mean they just go back when the days of, of COVID are start to remove? Now, I, I do think that there's going to be some, you know, growing challenges here. I don't think this goes away by football season. I don't think we're going back into people's homes for home visits for a long time. I do a lot of research on this uh, pandemic, as a lot of the leaders in EMS do. And they're talking about this is going to be something that could be around for two years. And 70% of the population is going to be infected. And, um, you know, that's something I think we've got to come to the, the boundary of and say, what else does the new normal look like? 
Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, SARS and, and H1N1 have, have become part of the yearly, uh, the yearly flu season, you know, and, and the, the, they never totally went away. They're just uh, normalized, for lack of a better word, and, and considered part of the, the yearly numbers now. Um uh, Peter Canning was discussing on his uh, blog uh, that there are basically three different predictions uh, that are going on that, that um, uh, you know, there will be a, with with the easing of social distancing, there will be an, uh, a massive uptick in cases uh, when when the fall and flu season hits and, and it will dwarf uh, the death numbers that we've experienced now. And a year and a half or so from now, we'll, you know, we'll have a uh, uh, started to acquire some herd immunity and some of the other uh, prediction models are not so dire death wise, but the, the, uh, the span, uh, the time span of the, of the pandemic is going to be longer. And eh, I, I don't really know. I, I think that predicting future behavior, even with computer models is an iffy proposition at best. Um, and, and uh, it's, it's going to be hard to predict. I'll, I'll wait to see how it all uh, shakes itself out, but um, the the fact remains that that a lot of the thing, like you pointed out, a lot of the 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 opponents to loosening up restrictions in our in our uh, EMS system and our profession, um, and allowing us to do more uh, and and approach uh, avenues of care uh, from a, a different perspective. Uh, those people are now on board and. You know, this is an opportunity, uh, as much as it seems like a crisis right now, this is an opportunity that we should not squander. But if any profession is capable of squandering it, it's EMS. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about provisional certification. And if you if you guys are not familiar with provisional certification, National Registry is allowing uh, people who have passed the cognitive exam but not yet had the opportunity to take a psychomotor exam because of the the uh, cancellations and the travel restrictions and whatnot, um, they're allowing them to practice as provisionally certified EMTs and with the expectation that they will take and pass the psychomotor exam uh, at the earliest opportunity as soon as those things are are um, as soon as those things are reinstated. Uh, however, realistically, it's probably going to be uh, uh, until their next recertification period. So they'll probably have like two years to take the the psycho take and pass the psychomotor exam to gain their full certification. Um, yeah, I think and, what's, I think and I think what's interesting about yeah. that is is how do they lose that skill? Even though they're going to be working in that, are they going to be able to pass those skills when the time comes? But let me take a quick break here, Kelly, and okay. I want to finish this conversation with you because mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more of this. But as your partner in EMS for over 40 years, Boundtree has made it their goal to provide you with more than just emergency medical supplies and equipment. Boundtree partners with you to create efficiencies within your agency, streamline your operations, and help you find ways to make the most out of your budget. Your dedicated account manager will be your true partner acting as your personal advisor to help you determine which solutions are right for you and your specific needs. To find out more or to set up a new account, visit Boundtree.com or call 800-533-0523. And I think that, you know, we started off on a great discussion about these provisional certifications, provisional mm -hmm. recertifications. And, you know, I kind of posed the question to say, you know, because as you were saying it and you kind of answered my question, could it be a whole uh, cycle period 
before they have the opportunity to sit and get their and get their uh, uh, psychomotor testing. If the answer is yes, uh, do they now lose the edge of being able to pass the psychomotor components? Because you know as well as I do, man, the way that we do skills today are not the way that we did skills when we first came oh, out of school. Oh, bite, yeah. bite your tongue, young man. And we have, hey, hang on, let me finish my thought. <laughs> we have now synthesized the psychomotor skill to make it our own skill. I can't mm -hmm. tell you that I intubate the same way today that I intubated when I first learned it, you know, all those years ago. I can't tell you that I start an IV with the same steps today that I was taught to start an IV back in the old days. And I think that as we've gone, you know, we talk about the first level of the psychomotor domain of being imitation. And now we start to think about moving up to analysis and synthesis as we get to the mastery of the psychomotor skill. If we've not progressed in that skill development, we've now kept ourselves at a lower end of that spectrum. So now as these individuals who are coming out of school that have been taught the ABCs, one, two, threes, the delineation of moving down this skill sheet, and as they now start to move into a field where they start to broaden their cognitive knowledge, where they start to grow on their psychomotor skills and move up that psychomotor domain, is it going to cause them a challenge? I, I Well, I have two answers to that. Uh, answer number one, for instructors and programs that taught uh, this concept that this is the way you do it on the street and this is the way you do it in a testing station, yeah, it's going to be a burden. Uh, and they're going to have to come up with some solution to get them back in testing mode. Um, but for those of us who taught uh, with the concept that if you do a good assessment and do a skill well, it's going to pass the skill station and it's going to pass muster on the street, um, it's not going to be that big a hurdle. And and that's something that, that I've taught for years. I don't think there is a street assessment versus a registry assessment. I think there's just a good assessment. If you teach it the right way, it'll pass muster in, in either setting. Well, hang on one second. Um, hang on one second. I, okay. I, I don't know that I, I said that as much as and I don't want to make sure that I didn't come across as confusing because what you're saying is that an instructor taught two different ways to do a skill. If there are any instructors who are teaching, this is the way to pass and this is the way to really do it. Oh, I, you still see that all okay, well, over the place. I, those aren't great instructors. That's not the yeah. way that you do that. You've got to teach. Yeah. You've got to teach a basic way, the right way to teach it. What I'm giving you is that we now develop our psychomotor skills. Yeah with our experience. So as these yeah. folks now are developing two years worth of IV start and, and intubation skills where hopefully depending on their system, they're getting more than one and maybe five and mm -hmm. maybe 10, depending on that system, does that hamper them from passing a national registry skills test? That's the point You're I was talking. getting to. And I hope that's yeah. what you heard. You're, you're talking about getting them back into testing mode. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, verbalizing everything exactly. as they do it. And, yeah. and that's, and that, and that's a valid point. Uh, I don't think it's that big a point. It's going to be that big a point for mine and Nancy students and students in, in Louisiana, simply because the way we conduct the psychomotor exam is not, uh, we were kind of, uh, leading the charge on implementing the, the IOSH, uh, and scenario based, uh, exam for uh, the BLS level, and now it's integrated through all levels. Uh, well, excuse me, advanced EMT still lags behind because advanced EMT is the redheaded stepchild of EMS. 
Um, but the paramedics, uh, we were among the first states to adopt the, the IOSH scenarios for paramedics. And now my students, when they go test, will test three stations. They will test two integrated out of hospital scenarios, uh, one medical, one trauma, and one of those will be a, a, uh, special populations patient and they will test cardiac arrest management, which is absurdly easy. Um, but, but it, it, it's the synthesis of an EMS call and we try to do it upright, uh, and, and make it as much like an actual call as possible. And there's none of this, you know, I would direct my professional partner to do this and I will verbalize this or that. And what are my patient's vital signs and, and just pantomiming the actions. You have a stretcher, you have a radio, you have a real live partner who's going, who's programmed to do things wrong or things correctly or ask you for guidance, uh, uh, in those situations. And you have to manage that call from beginning to end. It's as close to, um, to a, a real EMS call as we can do without an actual, uh, real pathology. Um, and I think that's a much, much better prep for actual practice, uh, than the previous patient assessment management, uh, medical and trauma and this splinting stations and also you have to synthesize all of those skills in an IOSH scenario. So I don't think that's going to be that big of a, a hurdle for our students. Um, and, and even if it is, we're, we're, or even if it's not, we're still, uh, hedging our bets and we're going to, uh, have quarterly, uh, exam prep days. Uh, so as soon as the travel restrictions are eased, we're going to say, all right, guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to come in and you're going to practice it just like you'll be tested, uh, for eight hours. Um, and we're going to get them prepped for that. We're going to have those quarterly, probably in, in conjunction with our quarterly NCCP refresher content, uh, to get those guys who are provisionally certified or came out of retirement, uh, to get them back up to speed if they want to keep their certification. You know, Kelly, Um, let let me, let me cut you off. You know, it would be cool to see what's that in this environment. Picture this. Now, all the paramedic programs that are in existence today Mm -hmm. have to go through a rigorous program, a rigorous uh, process to get accredited, right? And yeah, some well, states let me, let me are more rigorous than others. Co-amps is supposed well, to be the standard, but some play, some states don't require it, and their standards are well below co-amps. So uh, my understanding was everybody who teaches a paramedic program should be co-amps accredited. No, no, there are some there are some programs that are not co-amps accredited. They are state well, accredited, of, and they have to be affiliated with a what state? I'd be interested. No, but that's not where I'm going. But let me finish my well, thought. Let Louisiana, for that matter. So Louisiana, <laughs> you don't have to be co-amps accredited to teach paramedic no. school. No, but you you do have to be affiliated with a college and institute of higher learning. You that have is, to be, that is uh, co-amps accredited. No, no, co-amps is a standard above and beyond that. It's it's similar to think of co-amps as, as KHEP for education programs. No, I get it, I get it. But here's what my yeah. thought was. So I, this is where I was going, because my belief was everybody teaching had to be co-amps accredited, so that's my mistake. Yeah. But if you're co-amps accredited, right, mm-hmm. why do you need to take a national registry exam right away? Why can't you get a... And, and even the same thing, so you pass your school, you pass the final exam... That's been approved by this accreditation body, this uh, accrediting body. You've passed the skills exam that's been approved by this accrediting body that your, your school is doing everything that's right. How would it be 
in this environment, because think about now these these students may take a year, may take two years before they finally get their mm -hmm. skills, uh, their psychomotor exam. Why don't we change the paradigm that if you're a co-amps accredited school and you've been checked off, that your students pass, they can go into the field, they can get a, a provisional ticket to operate, the agencies now are going to be responsible for continuing education. Then after a year, let them take the psychomotor test, let them take the written test and get a real ticket to get their real card, challenge the national registry. How about if we did it that way? I, I don't think that that's a bad idea. I was I was starting to disagree with you when you began that that statement, and and then I find myself nodding in agreement. Um, well, that's because, because you don't. I, that's because you listen to respond. You don't listen to listen. No, I, I listen, but but you drone on and on and, and ramble so much that I, I lose track. Uh, Hang on a but, second, you because you can bite my ass. Sorry, go <laughs> munch munch. Um, uh, you know, at first I was going to say, well, you know, uh, people people uh, certifying their own people without some some objective third party verifying their skills and knowledge is, is the fox guarding the chicken coop. That's not a good idea. Um, however, what you propose is basically a journeyman certification, and and I have I have. Uh, agreed with my, my buddy Gary Safford and said that we rather than an, an uh, a we need to adopt a skilled trades model for EMS uh, that people graduate from paramedic school and they're uh, apprentice uh, paramedic and they're cleared to do certain skills only in the presence of a senior paramedic, uh, a master or a journeyman paramedic. And then as they reach that tier of, of competence and, and, and mastery, uh, they move on to journeyman paramedic. And then um, uh, when they've uh, completed that, that tier of mastery then when they've mastered all aspects of their profession they can practice to the full scope of a paramedic and those people are master paramedics much in the same way that an apprentice or journeyman uh carpenter electrician or plumber would and that's what you propose and and, and that's the thorn right now that's that's the uh the uh, problem, the fly in the ointment with National Registry's provisional certification is that they do that with the expectation that this provisionally certified person um, will be practicing his craft and learning and, and gaining uh, competence and mastery in those, those specific domains under the supervision of an already certified, more experienced provider. But there's no way to police that. I mean, can you imagine? Who's going to be looking over the shoulders for these these body strapped agencies that can't put meat in the seat uh, to make sure that they're not putting uh, two provisionally certified EMTs or two provisionally certified medics on a truck, or they're they're putting the provisionally certified uh, paramedic on the truck whose mentor is has about a year worth of experience and he's already burned out crispy in a cautionary tale rather than a mentor. Um, there's no way to police that. But if there were, man, that would be the way to go. You know, crank them out as soon as they passed a co-amps accredited program. Have a year of journeyman certification at a slightly lower tier of, of maybe pay and a slightly more restrictive um, uh, uh, scope of practice. Uh, and then once after that year uh, has passed, and they have been both signed off by their mentor uh, in an actual field setting, go take their psychomotor exam. 
and and pass their soccer motor exam, that could be their entry to journeyman level uh, paramedic. And, and then, um, you know, add a few more skills in there, RSI and, and uh, um, you know, uh, ultrasonography uh, and, and that sort of thing uh, are, are skills that they must master, uh, or perhaps flight medic and critical and community care paramedic certifications uh, they must obtain to to get their master paramedic certification. I think that is a wonderful model, and. Um, you know, previously, uh, in the old normal, I thought it would be problematic to, to actually implement that. But now, hey, you know, <laughs> who knows what's possible anymore? We've seen a whole lot of things we didn't think were possible that have uh, we've made work uh, because necessity required it of us. But, hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Are these provisional certifications a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, are the altered staffing models and the altered deployment models and the altered transport models that you're currently practicing under because of the coronavirus pandemic, are they things that need to hang around? Can we do them safely? Uh, what more training do we need, if any? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. Stay safe out there.